Good morning, friends. So lovely to see you this morning. And if you are visiting with us or if you've been away for a while, we want to say welcome. Welcome to my beautiful daughter, Jess, from Pretoria, my favorite eldest daughter. Um, this morning we are looking at uh, the Word of God, uh, how we wrestle with the Word of God. And uh, Tash and I had the privilege of uh, teaching little children from around about the age of 3 to 15. And um, one of the things that we tried to do was um, teach them to uh, learn the Word of God. And so uh, we decided to incentivize it. And we would have a memory verse. And uh, if you got the memory verse right, uh, we had a giant jar of sweeties. And you could come and, and grab a, a sweet. And uh, so uh, the one week, the memory verse was, some may trust in horses, some may trust in chariots, but we will trust in the name of the Lord. And so at the end, before everyone goes, we have the memory verse, and there's this long line of little kitties just lining up. First kitty says, some may trust in horses and some may trust in carrots, but we will trust in the name of the Lord. <laughs> it's close enough. There's the sweet teacher. Next little kitty, some may trust in horses and some may trust in carrots, but we will trust in the name of the Lord. There's your sweetie. It's close enough. Third one comes, same thing. Now I start to realize what happens in this community is because it's not an English language first speaking community, the one person who can actually speak English well teaches all the rest of the other little kitties and they got it wrong. <laughs> the purpose of this, this morning is to look at um, the Word of God, and um, the text that I've been given is the narrative of Jesus um, encountering Satan, um, and uh, I've actually I've preached this a few times before, and whenever, you, you know, as you get a little, preach a little bit more, if you've preached the text before, you can kind of come to it and go like, I think I know what the sermon should be around, and I need to just maybe tweak it a little bit uh, for this particular context. And I found this uh, message really surprised me because I didn't find that I tweaked it, I found it tweaked me, um, and, and really brought about a fairly major change in terms of, of even how I approach the text and, and read the text. And um, uh, there are two ways to to read this text, and I'm almost, almost sure that 99% of us will read it the wrong way. I include myself in that. There are two ways to read this text, and um, most of us will read it in a particular frame of reference. It's not wrong, there's just perhaps a more beautiful way, and I hope that the Word of God reveals that to us this morning. And as we approach the text, it's a narrative text. It's a story. It's not primarily an academic textbook. And so as we approach this text, I'm going to ask you to put yourself into the story um, and uh, imagine what it would be like. 
we'll find six characters. Uh, there's John the Baptist, there's Jesus, there's the Holy Spirit, there's the Father, there's the devil, and there's ministering uh, uh, angels. And um, I want you to ask yourself uh, some questions. Uh, what was the physical state of Jesus? When he speaks to Satan, what was maybe his body posture? What was his tone of his voice? Um, what was the weather like? Um, it's helpful sometimes to put ourselves into the story because uh, um, the purpose of the story is that you would encounter the king. So let's pray and then we're going to read the text. Father, you have exalted your name and your word above all else. Would you lift up, would you glorify your word which represents you in the hearts and minds and lives of us this morning. I pray that every single one of us would encounter you, Lord, um, in a way that shines an aspect into your character that we haven't seen. And I pray that we would leave feeling uh, a great sense of hope and courage and delight and wonder. And I would pray this, I pray, Lord, we would gasp at the wonder of who you are, in Jesus' name, amen. I'm gonna read from Matthew chapter three, just the portion before we get to the temptation of Jesus and then into chapter four. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. John would have, pre would have prevented him saying, I need to be baptized by you and do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, let it be so now, for thus is it fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. And then he consented, and when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, this is my beloved Son with whom I'm well pleased." Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you're the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you're the son of God, throw yourself down for it is written, he'll command his angels concerning you and on their hands they will bear you up lest you strike your foot against a stone. Jesus said, again it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Again the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to them, all these I will give to you if you fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said, be gone, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and, only shall, and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. Friends, the Bible consistently teaches that there is evil and to be a Christian is to enter into a fight or a battle. And therefore, we need to be awake 
we need to be wise to the schemes of the enemy and how are we to respond. John 8 verse 44 describes the nature of Satan. He says, you're the father, you're of your father the devil and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer, speaking of Satan, from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character for he is a liar and the father of lies. So we are introduced to one of the characteristics of Satan, who is a murderer, is a liar, and uh, in him there is no truth. And for, I think, most people in, 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 in educated economies, um, the Western world would really struggle to say, yeah, we, we believe that. We might have a form of the devil, but to recognize or to say that there is a, a supernatural force that is evil and wicked and his whole intention is to murder and to delight, to, to rob and to destroy is not something that we ordinarily gravitate towards. We ordinarily gravitate towards a logical reason for why things are happening. And yet if we think about it, when we look back at history, um, and you just have to go back to the Second World War, uh, between 75 uh, and 80 million people dead, uh, that's both people dying in the war and then dying because of after the war, um, because of famines and such not. Um, that's, uh, that's a significant number of people. You can't put that down just to one man leading badly um, or one man uh, just making bad decisions or if, you know, we, we, when we learn history, we learn that um, the, uh, the, the start of the First World War was the assassination of, I think, Archduke Ferdinand, if I can remember my history. And you go, okay, now we know for one mark, we know. Who, what started the, 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 the First World War? No, it wasn't that. It was there is a very real and present supernatural evil who from the very beginning aim is to rob, to steal, to lie, and destroy. And in this passage, we get something uh, not only of the nature of Jesus, but also of the nature of Satan. And uh, so we have to ask ourselves the question, what's he trying to do in this text? What's he trying to do in this narrative, in this story? Um, I think, from what I can understand, is that his purpose is to derail Jesus from the mission that he has, the purpose of Jesus, Satan wants to derail. Uh, the scripture says that uh, of Jesus, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Behold, look to the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. The purpose of Jesus was to be a substitute for all mankind to represent sin and to take away sin so that we could stand sinless before a loving Father. That's the mission of Jesus. The mission of Satan is to try and get Jesus to sin so that he could not be a substitute because he's just like us. The mission of Satan was to ensure that Jesus sinned 
so that he could not be a perfect lamb. He could not be perfect. He could not represent us, could not take us because he was just like you and me. And so what we kind of see here is really a titanic um, wrestling match between the purposes of evil and the purposes of a loving father. Um, and so what we will see is three trials or three temptations. The purpose of a trial for Satan is to derail us, to destroy us. The purpose of a trial uh, for the Father is always for our good. So I'm going to uh, have a look at them and uh, then look at the response that uh, Jesus goes through. But to maybe give you a macro picture, um, the, the three trials, uh, Jesus is going to refer back to the Israelite nation. And um, uh, he's going to actually use the word of God or the story of God in the Israelite nation and say, this is how Israelite, the Israelites acted. This is how they should have acted if they trusted in God. Um, and so it's really helpful for us to understand um, the uh, Israelites um, coming into the story. So here we have temptation number one. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, if you are the son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. Uh, 40 days and 40 nights, his hunger was real. Um, and I would say this is a fairly, um, uh, it's not just a, 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 you know, a light struggle that he's going through. Um, the situation that Jesus found would be under immense pressure, just like you'll see the Israelites themselves under immense pressure. And so Satan takes a very real and legitimate need, which is extreme hunger, and says to Jesus, you have the power and the ability to meet that need. Um, and the truth is, uh, Jesus did have the power and the ability. He did multiply bread. Um, he had compassion on the crowd, and for him to have compassion on himself would not be wrong. So, so what's really the trial happening here? And we can only really answer when we look at Jesus' response. And um, uh, he's really referring to Deuteronomy chapter 8 and when he responds to the devil. And he says, and he humbled you and let you hunger and fed you with manna which you did not know, nor did your fathers know that he might make you know that the man does not live by bread alone, but lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. And so Jesus responds to this, will you meet your very real need by actually commanding stones to become bread? Jesus says, actually, I won't. I'm gonna take you back to the Israelite nation when they were also in a very critical period. They had come out of slavery and they had no food and no way to provide for their food and they began to mumble and complain and say, why have you brought us out here just to kill us? And Moses 
looking back, said that the reason why God this, did this was to test them that they might know that man does not live by bread alone. In other words, the, 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 the new community of faith that has been brought out of Israel was never intended just to be rescued so that they could make a plan by themselves. The purpose of them being rescued is that they would be brought into the presence of a loving Father who would provide for them. When Jesus is saying, but man shall not live by bread alone, but the very word that comes from the mouth of God, he's saying, well, uh, the, the word of God, which from, to Abraham says that I will bless you and I will bring you into a land and I will be with you and I'll provide for you. There is a word that God speaks out that is meant to sustain you and I, and then there's the word that we speak, that others speak according to our circumstances and where we find ourselves. And the great struggle of the Christian faith is which word shall we listen to and which word shall we believe? And this is not even around the big things, they are around everyday things. Every kind of thought that comes away, comes our way is really a, a, a wrestle and a struggle for the word of God that says something versus the lies of the enemy. And so Jesus is saying, um, despite my ability to solve this problem, to despite my ability to actually to rescue myself by not actually doing anything, what I'm showing is that I'm completely yielded to a loving father. And if he led me into the desert too fast, he will surely bring me out. It's so easy to preach this, but under immense pressure, both small things and big things, it's actually really difficult to trust God. We, um, in our culture here in Durbanville, we've generally been taught to make a plan. In fact, we've actually got a saying about it in Durbanville. It's called a boer maka plan. And we love that kind of characteristic of us as South Africans. Um, is that we, when we hit an obstacle, we don't just lie down and complain and moan. No, we make a plan. And there's nothing wrong with that. It's beautiful. But the problem is when the source of your life is not based upon, upon the Father, but upon you. And I think very often when we face some really difficult situations, should we stay in this country or should we emigrate? We're struggling in the marriage we, we, we have relational difficulties, maybe some financial difficulties, maybe just our own internal difficulties. And now we're at this, 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 uh, this difficult moment and we, because it's uncomfortable, we want to get out of that. And the great, uh, what Satan wants to say is, you have the ability to solve your own problems. If you just use your power and your ability you too can get out. And, um, and when we do that, when we, when we take on the full weight of actually solving those things, really we say we're really the king of our lives. We're God in this situation because uh, we, we move, the, the, the onus, the burden of responsibility for our lives rests on us. 
And Jesus says, actually, um, in this case, um, I'm gonna trust my father. And so the second temptation is Satan saying, okay, well, if you're gonna, if, if, if you say that your father is, uh, is trustable um, and will protect you, let's really see if that is true. And so the second temptation is this. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and on, on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. And so Satan says to Jesus, very well, if you say your father loves you, then let's see some action. Um, my father and I, we uh, would often, you know, uh, uh, have different opinions and argue and very often like a 10, 11, 12, 13, 14 year old thinks they know quite a lot more than that. And after a while of, of arguing, my dad would um, say, okay, you know, let's put some money on this. And really what he was saying is, let's really see if you really believe that what you're arguing for. And uh, then I would say, uh, no, thank you. <laughs> At least I was really certain. And then he would say, put up or shut up. Not in a rude way, but he'd just say, listen, like actually, you, you, lose the, you lose the ability to argue if you don't put some money on the table. You need to put some, something on the table. Otherwise, let's stop arguing. And it worked. I would keep quiet. And this is Satan saying to Jesus, listen, it's easy to say you'll trust in God. That doesn't require much. Let's actually take you to what he does, take you to this highest pinnacle, Sheer drop off, okay, your father says, according to scripture, you jump, angels will be sent, and they will make sure that you are not harmed. Let's really see if your father is who he says he is. And Jesus says, again it is written, you shall not put the Lord God to your test. And once again, this is a quote um, from Deuteronomy 6, which says this, uh, about the Israelite nation. You shall not put the Lord your God to the test as you test them at, Mas at Massa. Well, what happened at Massa? Let's read Exodus 17, verse three. But the people thirsted there for water, and the people grumbled against Moses and said, why'd you bring us out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? So Moses cried to the Lord, what shall I do with this people? They are almost ready to stone me. And then the Lord said to Moses, pass on before this people, taking with you some of the elders of Israel, and take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile, and go. Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock of Horeb, and you shall strike the rock, and water shall come out of it, and the people will drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders and Israel. And he called the name Massa and Meribah because of the quarreling of the people, and because they tested the Lord by saying, is the Lord among us. And so Jesus goes back to the story of Israel and uh, first, first struggle they had was we are hungry, can we trust you? The second one is we're thirsty, we're going to die here. What was the purpose of God bringing us out of slavery if it was just to kill us here in the desert? And it said they grumbled and they said, is God really among us? And we might not be so strong, but if you live long enough, there will come a circumstance in your life where you'd go, God, 
this is not how I understood you to be because if I look what's happening to me, I struggle to reconcile it with a loving father. And somehow, um, we become just like the Israelites. We, we, we wonder, we don't do it maybe even in an accusatory way, but we wonder, is God among us? Is he really, um, uh, is he really who he says he is? And... Um, Jesus says about the Israelites, they actually tested God. They put God in the dock. They put God on trial and said, well, uh, you know, God's role is to look after us. He's not looking after us. Therefore, we're going to give a perspective on how God should act, and we're going to judge him. And, uh, and Jesus says, no, we, we, don't, we don't get to do that. We never get to actually... Uh, put God to the test. We never get to bring him down to our level and run him through the framework of our references and our circumstances. The third temptation, as Satan continues is it says, again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to them, all, those, all these I will give you if you fall down and worship me. And so Satan says to Jesus, um, your mission, um, I can help you accomplish if, uh, if you worship me. In other words, there is a way for you to accomplish what you are called to do but you don't have to actually, um, you don't actually have to, to go through the cross. You don't have to suffer. I can give you the kingdoms. You can rule uh, over all the kingdoms. I've got that authority. I can give it to you. But you don't have to, um, you don't have to go through suffering. You don't have to be the substitute. You don't have to bear the sins of the world. You can accomplish your mission in a, another way. And this is what Jesus says. He says, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him alone shall you serve. Once again, this is a quote from Deuteronomy 6. It says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and all your might. And when the Lord your God brings you into the land, he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, to give you with the great and good cities that you did not build, and the houses full of good things that you did not fill, and the cisterns that you did not dig, and vineyards and olive trees that you did not plant. And when you eat in full, take care lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt and out of the slavery. It is the Lord your God you shall fear him. You shall fear him you shall serve. Jesus goes back to the Israelite nation and said, uh, I just read, look back and that they were a nation that were continually forgetting God. They were continually um, uh, looking to other gods to help them and looking back to Egypt and going, well, they were successful. Their gods will we'll go that way. We'll continue to try and accomplish going into the land in our own particular ways. And Jesus says, actually, um, uh, the highest thing is that I was created to do is to yeah, is to worship God. And so, um, 
the, the work of, of Satan is to, uh, it's not so much that we would sin. The sin's not the main thing. What he wants us to do is not believe what God says about us and who we are in God. That's his work. And um, there should be a little uh, picture of a, a lure, a fly fishing lure. Uh, I'm not a fly fisherman. I can fish, but I don't, I don't do fly fishing pretty well. Most of the times it gets caught in the bulrushes at the back. And, but this is my understanding about a master fly fisherman is that before they even tie that fish, that fly, um, they examine the conditions of where they're going to fish. They examine uh, the type of uh, flies or insects that are in that area. They examine the temperature of when the fish uh, bite. They um, effectively, they tailor make something that's irresistible to that particular fish in that particular lake at that particular time. And, and would you believe it, the fish bites. That's the strategy of the enemy. He's been doing it from the very beginning. Uh, how can God be loving if there's no bread? How can God be loving if there's no water? How can God be loving if there's giants in the land? How can God be loving, boom, 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 boom. Sin's not the main issue. The main issue is that you would doubt the word of God over our lives and live out that particular word. And so the, the, the incredible thing about Jesus referring back to, to, to Israel is he's not, just, he's not just referring that Israel kept messing up and kept biting the lure and kept being unfaithful. But the incredible thing is that God is faithful despite their unfaithfulness. And maybe a picture of God using the lure illustration is that God is faithful to remove the lure that we, that we bite on and they bit upon. He's a loving father. And for the Christian friends, there is no lure that you'll ever bite that Jesus is unable to remove from your mouth and lovingly restore you. There's no lure that you will ever bite that Satan has the power to reel you in, that the Father is able to take that lure and like a master fisherman, remove it as we repent, as we come to him. I think if you've been reading the text, you should ask this question, why did God allow Jesus to be tempted? Because we pray, Father's prayer, lead us not into temptation. This scripture is quite strange because it says that through the Holy Spirit, the Father led Jesus into temptation, into trial. Hebrews answers this really beautifully. The writer says, for this reason, he had to be made a had to be made like his brothers in every way so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service to God in order to make atonement for the sins of the people. Because he's, he himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who, being, who are being tempted. Um, and so the mission of Jesus was to be a substitute for our sins. And... Uh, 
The way that he does that is that he remains faithful to trusting the word of God. I, I said to you in the beginning, there's two ways of actually approaching this text. The one is how, you know, when we look at this text, what's the schemes of the enemy and what must we do? In other words, to put in one line, what must I do? And most of us approach the text of, okay, Brendan, there's a real war, there's an enemy, uh, what must I do? I must take the word of God, I must stand the, on the word of God, I must believe in the word of God. And that is true. We do have a responsibility to meditate, to read, to allow the word of God to, to, to become part of us so that when you poke us, it comes out. That's, that's a discipline. But this story is not primarily about what we must do. It's about what he has done. You see, because if we make it about what you must do, then once again, you're the center of the story. You, 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 you the, the, the very center and the essence is around you. And you're not the center, and I'm not the center. The center is a man called Jesus. And when you think about it, friends, I, I don't know about you, but for me, one of the biggest temptations, or one of the most difficult things, is when people touch my identity or my family's identity, yeah? Someone, for those of you parents, if someone touches your child and has a go at your child, you don't just sit there and go, oh, that's fine. You're like... And when someone touches your identity, particularly things that you think you do well, like you, you, you don't just take that lying down. Generally, you want to rise up and defend yourself, yeah? And say, no, that's not who I am. This is who I am. And what we see here in Jesus is he just never defends himself. He looks back to the Israelite nation, says, this is what they didn't do. They never trusted in the word of God. I'm gonna trust in a loving father. I'm gonna trust in a loving father. I'm not gonna defend myself. I'm not gonna to respond to you. And um, that the, the weight of that attack upon Jesus is higher, wider, longer, more difficult than anything that you have ever encountered or will ever encounter. The, the, the head of the supernatural realm, Satan, comes on a full frontal attack to rob Jesus of his mission. That's not a light little moment. That's wickedness personified. And you have to go, how does Jesus, how does he actually, how does he, how does he stand? You know, he's a human just like us. And the reason why I asked you to put yourself in the text is because he's human. He's flesh and blood. And that text says he had to be made like his brothers in every way. And because he was a perfect human, he could be a perfect substitute. And the suffering of Jesus, we often talk about the cross. And we, ex you know, we, we just stand and wonder at Jesus' suffering on the cross. But friends, it didn't begin in the cross. It began in the wilderness. It, and it was continuous. From the wilderness to the garden of Gethsemane to the cross, Satan was relentlessly trying for Jesus to not trust in the word of God. From every word that comes from the mouth of my father. And so that's the reason why I preceded Matthew 4 with Matthew 3, because it says this text, as Jesus was baptized, he hears a voice from heaven saying, this is my son whom I love, in him I'm well pleased. 
the reason why Jesus was able to withstand the attacks of the enemy both then and throughout is because he lived by the word of the Father. What is the word of the Father? You're my boy, I love you, I take pleasure in you. And friends, you can read the Bible every single day. You can go through those year planner things and all those beautiful processes and still not have heard the word of the Lord of your life. You're a son and you're a daughter. You are forever loved. And the Father takes pleasure in you. And every single day, it's a battle for that word. There's other sub-battles, but the major battle is Will you really believe, will you really believe, despite your circumstances, despite your thoughts, despite what everyone else is saying, would you really believe I'm a son and I'm a daughter and I am forever loved and the Father is pleased with me? He believed the word of God and the wrestling match when we come to uh, wrestling in the word, it really takes around on that platform. And uh, Adam didn't believe the word of God. Israel didn't believe the word of God. The story of the Bible is people not believing that we have a loving father, that despite our circumstances, that he will take care of us. He'll bring us through the wilderness into the promised land. We will be rescued from slavery into his presence, both now and forevermore. Will we really believe that he will provide for us, that he will protect us, that no matter what harm befalls us, it's for our good. We have a loving father. That's the wrestle, friends. And out of that place, do we approach the word of God on a daily basis to meditate and to pray?